going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. Our title for this morning's message is Set Apart, To Be Set Apart. And this is a theme that we see. It, I don't know if you have anybody that you think of that in your life that has just been somebody that has discipled you or somebody more mature than you that has kind of led you through life. I don't know anybody that you're thinking about. I've, I've got several people, thankfully, in my life that have led me well that when I think about when I think about 2 Timothy, and when we think about 2 Timothy, this is Paul's letter to Timothy, right? Paul is reaching the end of his journey in this life, and he writes a personal letter to Timothy. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And what he's telling him all throughout, all throughout the book of 2 Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy, is to remain faithful to Christ. Fight the good fight and continue to persevere. The relationship that we see we see that Timothy was a dear friend of Paul's. We see that in his relationship with Paul, it's one of intentional discipleship. If you read First and Second Timothy, that's something that you're going to see. In his last letter to Timothy, Paul, and what we'll read uh, a snippet of this morning, is Paul is exhorting him to remain faithful in following Christ. Paul knew that there would be difficulty. That's why he's warning him of these things. He knew that there would be difficulty. He exhorts him to look at his own life, Paul's life. He tells Timothy, look, look at how I followed Jesus and do that faithfully. In 2 Timothy, we see a theme that's common in all of Paul's writings in the New Testament. He's warning Timothy of the trials to come, and he's telling him, exhorting him, encouraging him, warning him to anchor himself in the Word of God, to anchor himself in Christ, because that's the only way that he'll ever persevere and fight the good fight. Paul isn't just telling him to do these things, right? He's not just saying, hey, Timothy, here's a list of things that you need to do. Here's a list of things that you need to avoid. He's not just telling, the, telling him these things so that he'll become a better person. He's not just telling them these things so that he just does better and he just modifies his behavior. But no, this is a dear friend of Paul's, Timothy is, and he loves him. He, he tells him all of these things so that he will experience the fullness of Christ. If you look in all of the letter to the Ephesians and Paul's writings there, you see that he wants to experience this church in Ephesus. He even says in the first chapter of Ephesians, I believe it's the first chapter, he wants them to experience the fullness of Christ. That's difficult to do, right? There's much opposition in this world that we face that comes against us. That's why it's all the more important for us to anchor in Christ so that we can experience him in his fullness. Paul wants Timothy to persevere. He wants him to be an honorable vessel for God's use. He wants him to be an approved worker. His motivation is his love for Timothy. I imagine that it would be like this for you parents to your kids. Why would you tell your kids to not touch the hot eye? One, because you know it's going to burn them, right? And because you love them. You don't, want them. you don't want them to be hurt. You instruct your kids to do things or to not do certain things. And I would say that your motive behind that and your reasoning is because you know what's best for them. You know that you love them and that's your motivation. It's the same in Paul, Paul's letter to Timothy. His motivation to Timothy to exhort him in these things is because he loves him. He wants them to experience Christ in his fullness. It's the same in, in why God has given us this word. He didn't give us this book the Bible as just a list of instructions and do's and don'ts for us to keep. 
right? If that was the case, then we would always be in a state of depression because we fail at these things, right? But God has given us his word, the word that we're going to read this morning from 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. He has given that to Christ followers because he loves us, because he wants to encourage us. He wants us to warn us of the dangers of this world, not just so that we'll be better people and better good little Christian boys and girls, but so that we would experience him in his fullness and that we would anchor in him because he knows if we don't do that, the world will toss us back and forth. Though this is a personal letter to Timothy, there's so much for us to glean from the exhortation that Paul's given. As I read this passage, and if you yourself were to go back and read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you're going to see a specific theme. You're going to see a specific call, and that's to be set apart. That's our title this morning, is to be set apart. And the, the challenge here is that we face opposition in trying to be set apart in a world that is set apart, right? Because our standard of living is much different from the world's. Paul, in much of his writings, he's warning us against the world. He's exhorting us to be rooted in Christ. For us to be set apart in a sinful, sinful world, we must be aware of the, sinless, the sinfulness in the world. We must be aware of the godlessness in a world where we try to be godly. We have to be aware and we have to be prepared to battle against the opposition that's going to come. As we walk through this passage this morning, we're going to see that Paul is calling Timothy to be aware, specifically in our passage this morning, is of false teaching and letting those things infiltrate the church. And he tells us to avoid those things. But for us to be able to do that, we have to be aware of those things. And to war against those things, we must prepare ourselves. It's just like a man preparing to go to battle, right? How dumb would it be if somebody did that, went into battle, or people say this a lot, bring a knife to a gunfight, right? That's not something that you're going to win. But in this world, as Christ followers, we face opposition. We, we're going to read here in just a second, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 4, you're going to see a list of what this godlessness looks like in the world. And we face these things each and every day. But for us to be prepared, we have to be rooted in the truth of Scripture. So our first point, first of two points this morning is going to be for us to be aware. There's a call for us to be aware. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Follow along with me as I read. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, They'll be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Check this out in verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul says, avoid such people. It says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as, with that, as was that of those two men. Dear God, I come to you this morning, and I just ask as we 
trek through the truth of your word that you would give us a mind, ears, and a heart to understand the truth of your word. I ask this in your name. Amen. So our first point this morning is for us to be aware. Well, what are we being aware of? Verses 1 through 4, what we just read. I won't read over all of this list, but what we see Paul tells us, Paul tells Timothy, is that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. He then gives many examples of what that comes with. These last days that he speaks of, are, these are things that are already happening. You may look at this list and you say, hey, this is something that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. This is not something that I'm unaware of, but these are things that have been happening for a long time. We are already, even in this time, that, Timothy, that Paul wrote this to Timothy, we're living in the last days. The last days is as we await for Christ's promised return. As we read this list of things to be aware of, we immediately, immediately can agree that we're all living in a time where all of these things ring true. These are examples of what it looks like to be godless. This is the perfect picture of a godless world that we live in. Paul's purpose in sharing all of these examples is to warn Timothy to be on guard and to be aware of these things, specifically in the church. Do not allow these things to infiltrate the church. Verse 5, we look in verse 5 and it gets, verse 5 is an explanation of verses 1 through 4. What's the issue with the things that we see in verses 1 through 4? Right here in verse 5, it says that, Paul says that it has the appearance of godliness but it denies its power. Paul gives a command to Timothy. He says, avoid such people. The issue that we find here is that these people, these false teachers that Paul is warning Timothy against is they may look good, but they aren't good. They may appear godly, but they actually aren't. The issue with the things mentioned above is explained in verse 5. Paul says in verse 5 that these people, these things, will have the appearance of godliness, but will deny its power. Well, who are these people that Paul's talking about? By the way Paul is talking, it seems that these are people that could infiltrate the church. These things, these lists of characteristics, aren't only for people that could be in the church, that seek to deceive, but these are things that, even as a broader term that we'll apply this morning to be set apart for Christians, is to beware of these things in our lives personally, and also in our church, in your home, with your your families, in your workplace, in the things that you do on your phone, in the things that you watch on TV, all of these things, all of these facets that false teaching can infiltrate, we have to be on guard. We have to be aware. But what does this appearance look like? Specifically, Paul is talking about this and infiltrating the church. What does this look like? Well, Maybe you've experienced this before. This may look like people speaking on things, and it may initially seem that they have the appearance of godliness. What they say, it may make sense, but later you learn that all of that was just a head knowledge and that there was true There was no true heart knowledge behind that. There was the head and the heart wasn't connected. You may identify this appearance of noticing that their agenda is the furthest thing from glorifying God. It's to glorify themselves. Their goal is selfish gain, not selfless sacrifice. What Paul's saying is that these people will have the appearance, but that's all they'll have. No true fruit and no life change will be seen. Over time, as we use spiritual discernment, we'll see that their folly, that their ignorance will become plain. That's what we read in 
verse 9, right? He says, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men, those two men the example that Paul gives of Janus and Jambres. Paul gives a command in verse 5. He says, avoid such people. And the question that we have to answer this morning is, does he mean that we really should just avoid these people, right? Well, I think that this is a twofold answer. I think yes and no. Specifically in what we're reading this morning in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, yes, we should avoid such people, right? Paul here is telling Timothy to be aware of false te- teaching, especially in the church. It seems off that Paul would say to avoid such people. Look back with me in chapter 2, verses 24 and 26. Read this to you. This is, Paul is exhorting Timothy here to be a worker approved by God. And he says that this is essentially what it should look like. Verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. If you look back in 2, 24 through 26, what we just read, it seems that Paul's exhortation to Timothy is to be gentle with these type of people. Be gentle with the people that bring forth opposition so that God would grant them repentance. It would appear if you read that versus what we just read in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, it seems that Paul is contradicting himself, right? It's not. Here's why. The truth is, no matter, no matter how much we seek to come to agreement with anybody, no, no matter how much we as Christ followers seek to reconcile with the truth of Scripture, there will always be people that give us opposition. There will always be people who are opposed to the truth of Scripture. Paul's exhortation is to be aware of these things, but also be intentional not to allow that into our body as a church, not to allow that into your home, not to allow that into your mind just personally as a Christ follower, but we must be aware of these things. The reason for this is because it's deceiving. It's divisive. It's a cancer that just spreads. We as Christ followers must protect. I want you to understand how important this is. We as Christ followers must protect the integrity of the truth of God's word in our lives personally, but also in our church. This is a strong call. This is a a call to Timothy, to pastors. It's a strong call to pastors of the church. It is our job as God has called us to lead you to be discerning so that we are protecting the integrity of the truth of God's word. The best way for us to do that is to never stray away from the truth of God's word. That's the foundation by which we do all things. In fellowship, we can be thankful that we are a part of a church that is built on the foundation of the truth of Scripture. I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this message, and I was thinking that I'm thankful that, and of no tooting of our own horn for the staff and pastors of this church, but we take seriously the truth of Scripture. But that hadn't only happened with the people that you have here now. This has happened before we even got here. 
This is a history of this church, the church members not allowing false teaching into this church and building a church that is going to be founded on the truth of Scripture. Your pastor who was here before, you know him better than I do. I know him well enough to know that he was intentional about building a foundation and being a church that's practiced, studied, taught, and sang the truth of God's Word. And that's something, guys, that we can be thankful for. But it also doesn't mean that we take a seat back and say that we're good. Because opposition can still come. And we live in a world where there is much opposition. I'm only 24 years old, and I can see in the time that I have paid attention to church and and took that as some importance in my life, I've noticed that the opposition in many ways has changed in many ways has become greater. And we can be thankful because at least right now, we live in a place where that opposition is very light. We face very very light opposition, at least personally for ourselves and, and also in our church. But we have to be intentional nonetheless to be aware. This isn't just a call to pastors and the leaders of the church, but this is a call to all who claim to know Christ. This is a call to all of us who follow Jesus. In the world that we live in, as Christians, we will always be around the godliness of the world. That's not something that we can avoid entirely. We're called to be the light in the darkness, but sometimes that means that the darkness must be cast out. What I mean by that is, if you read what we just read in in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, we see Paul's exhortation to Timothy, and that's to seek repentance Seek reconciliation by leading people who are teaching these false things. Lead them to the truth, right? We should always make an effort to do that. We should always seek to reconcile and lead false teaching towards the truth. In the case that opposition and dissension remains, at some point, action must be taken. At some point, that darkness must be cast out. At some point, we have to take steps to avoid those things infiltrating our church and infiltrating our lives personally as Christ followers. What we see in verse, we see in all of 2 Timothy 3 through 9, our passage, 1 through 9, our passage this morning is that Paul is exhorting Timothy to be aware of these types of people. I want to dig a little deeper into verse 5. Paul's warning Timothy to avoid these people, these people that represent these characteristics listed in verses 1 through 4. But I think that we can take this a step further to say that we as Christians, we should also be aware of these things infiltrating our lives. This isn't just something that, this isn't just something that you need to be aware of in other people. But this is something that you need to be aware of coming into your own life. Because if we go back, if we go back, were to go back and look at, all of these characteristics that Paul mentions of what it looks like to be godless, I think that we all could come to a point where we say, this is something that I deal with too. This is something that I have to, we as Christians have to war against. It's a constant battle, right? These characteristics aren't only indicative of unbelieving people, but they're also things that you and I, Christians, we battle against each day. We have to be aware of such sins, and we have to be prepared to war against them, not only in other people, but in ourselves as well. If you would, turn to Ephesians 5, 6 through 8. I've got to get a sip of water. Just bear with me for a second.
in explaining this uh, in Ephesians 5, 6 through 8, I think that this makes this make sense. Ephesians is the, is the book that we're going through currently right now on every Wednesday night with our students. And uh, as I've mentioned, you see, a, you see a common theme in all of Paul's writings, and that's that he is always encouraging and warning believers to anchor in Christ because he knows the outcome if we don't, right? So Ephesians 5, 6, and 8, it kind of makes this make sense. And I'll, I'll give some explanation to what we read here. Ephesians 5, verse 6. If I can find, my, find it myself. Right here it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Look at Paul's command to these people, to the church of Ephesus in verse 7. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. This deception that Paul's talking about in verse 6, the deception is that Christians can lead unrepentant and sinful lives after coming to know Christ without suffering the consequences of blatant disobedience. Paul's command to them in verse 7 is to not become partners with them. And I use this supporting scripture to show you the contrast in the answer of yes and no. Should we avoid these people? Yes. Should we always avoid these people? No. We should seek reconciliation right? People are going to oppose the truth of God's Word. People are going to try to deceive you, right? We are called to be, if you were to continue to read in Ephesians 5 and go on, it talks about being light in a dark world. And Paul encourages and exhorts these Christians in Ephesians to be the light in the darkness, that doesn't mean that we, are, we become a part of the darkness. That's why he says in verse 7, he says, do not become partners with them. He doesn't mean to avoid all unbelievers, but rather avoid joining them in their sin. Again, this is a call back to what our sermon title is this morning, our, really our main point, and that's to be set apart. To fulfill the Great Commission, to share the truth of Scripture to the ends of the earth, we must put ourselves in positions where we are around unbelieving people. How else can you have an influence of the truth of God's Word to unbelieving people? But there is a common ground that we have to find. And there's a place that we have to come to where we do invest in those people. But we don't allow those things to deceive us and infiltrate our lives. It means that we always have to be on guard. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. There must be a distinction. To do that, we have to equip ourselves with the armor of God and the sword of his word to be prepared to battle against some, such things. If we're going to root ourselves in the truth of scripture so that we can battle and war against the opposition, then it's important for us to know the truth of scripture. Something that we must write on our hearts. Why avoid these such people? Verses six through eight, Paul answers. He answers that why. Verse 6. Verse 6 says this. It says, For among these false teachers, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by, by various passions. Verse 7. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. 
Why does Paul instruct us to avoid such people? He gives us an answer. We must avoid this because among these false teachers, their goal is to corrupt and lead astray those who are weak and susceptible to deception. We have to be on guard. We have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our church. The picture that Paul is painting here, and we won't, we won't get into the illustration that Paul is, is giving about these women. The, the point that Paul is trying to make here is that these are weak people. And these false teachers are attacking those weak people. They're preying on the weak. The picture that Paul is painting here is that those who seek to deceive will attack those who are weak as to lead them astray and to lead them away from the truth of God's word. Verse 7, he says, these people are always learning and they're never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Verse 7, Paul identifies these people can't arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Well, why is this? Why? It, it, it seems that this would be contradicting, right? It seems that anybody that seeks to know the truth of God's Word, God would allow them to do that, right? And we believe that to be true. A pulpit commentary, a, a commentary that I use oftentimes, it, it explains it well. Let me read you this quote from them. To simplify this, it says, They are always beating about the bush, but they never get possession of the blessed and saving truth of the gospel of God. Their own selfish inclinations and not the grace of God continue to be the motive power within them. Simplified even further, their ignorance is driven by their own selfish desire. Their own selfish desire for the things that they want, for the things that they strive after, this keeps them from understanding and arriving at the knowledge of truth. Paul compares this to an, uh, an example in the Old Testament, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8, it says, these people, he compares it to Janus and Jambres. These were people who opposed Moses. He says in verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. They're men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Paul compares this to an example in the Old Testament with two people who were known for their opposition to the truth. We're not going to go back in Exodus and look at this example, but these were two people that opposed the truth. Paul's reasoning for calling back to this is because Timothy would have seen this. This is a reminder to Timothy from Paul that, hey, it isn't just happening now. You're not just facing opposition now. It may look different now than it did then, but there is still opposition to the truth of God's word. These men were corrupted in their thinking. They were disqualified regarding the faith because they simply did not have genuine saving faith. Their folly, their ignorance was plain to see through their t teaching and the way that they lived. If you look back in Exodus, I believe it's in chapter 7, you'll see that the work that these people are trying to do, they're trying to compare it to Moses' work as if they had the same amount of power that Moses has been given to from the Holy Spirit. Later, we find out as we read that that isn't true, that they are, their folly, their ignorance, their claims of equality to the Holy Spirit, to God, they fall flat on their face. The truth is that we're going to, just like he gives this example to Timothy, the truth is we're going to face opposition. We're all going to have to battle against that, but we can find, I love what we see in verse 9, we find encouragement. It gives an example of what that is in verse 9. 
about these people, he says, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. We find encouragement because these false teachers who seek to deceive and lead astray won't make it far. And something that we can be encouraged by this morning, Christian, be encouraged by this. We can rest assured that the truth of God's word will always outshine the folly of this world. The truth of God's world will always, of his word, will always outshine the folly of the world. In this letter, Paul's call, his warning, his encouragement to Timothy is to be aware, is to be a vessel of honorable use. And to simplify that in a broader term is to live as set apart, to be set apart. As Christians, we know that in our striving to be set apart, that comes with challenge. That's going to come with opposition. You may be thinking of times where you have faced that challenge, that opposition. Specifically in our passage this morning, we see the importance of protecting the integrity of the truth of God's word in our church, in our homes, in our personal lives as Christians. For us to be able to do that, we have to be aware of the godliness in the world. And not only that, but we have to be prepared to war against it. Our second point this morning is to be prepared. This is where we'll anchor for just a moment in our application and what it looks like for us to be prepared as we face this opposition. What does it look like for us to be prepared? Being prepared to war against the godlessness in the world means that we must see the godliness in this world. I understand that that may seem redundant, but oftentimes we put on the blinders to see really how perverted and how wicked the world is that we live in. We have to notice those things. This means that we have to filter everything through the truth of Scripture. I don't know if you guys remember, but some months ago, maybe it's even been a year, Caleb used an illustration um, on the uh, screen behind us of how we should filter everything in our life. It was a super neat illustration that he used. And I believe up top you had Jesus, the filtering cup of our life being poured into that. And that one single thing, Jesus, the truth of God's word, filtered into every single thing else. The things that we watch, the things that you listen to, the things that you invest in, the things that you see, all of these things must be filtered all the way down to the very intricate aspects of the way that you live your life. Because in every single facet and aspect of your life, Satan will seek to deceive you and false teaching will infiltrate your lives if you allow it. False teaching isn't just something that exposes itself in physical form. It doesn't just expose itself in the church. It's on your phone. It's in the things that you watch. It's in the things that you surround yourself with, the people that you surround yourself with, the things that you watch. We have to be on guard. And I kind of relate us being on guard to this one specific illustration that I think of. I think that most of the time men do this. Anytime that I go into a restaurant, I never will let myself sit with my back to the door. We were at Baskin Robbins last night. We went to uh, get some ice cream, and I noticed this little girl sat with her 
this little girl and her dad, they came in to get some ice cream, and she sat where she was facing the door. And I noticed this guy, I noticed this guy ask his daughter to move. And he asked his daughter to move so that he could see what was coming in and what was coming out. How intentional are we? I know I am. I'm a, I don't know what the word is, but I'm a, it's not hypochondriac, but I guess I always think bad things can happen. So I'm always on guard with things. And I'll never let Landry sit to where she can see the door and I can't see the door because I want to protect my wife. This father wanted to protect his son, protect himself even, to see before it actually gets in, to see it and to catch it before it happens. It is no different in our relationship with the Lord. We cannot have our backs against the door. We must always be on guard. We must always be aware. We must always be prepared for something that happens. I know many people in here, if somebody was to walk up in here threatening to do anything to anybody, I know many of you, a lot of you are packing heat, right? Why? Because you want to be prepared. If something happens, you don't want to be caught unprepared. It's the same in our relationship with the Lord. We don't want to be caught unprepared. For us to do that, our preparation is that we have to be rooted in the truth of God's Word. We have to be rooted in prayer so that we know the truth, so that we are able to discern what is true and what's not, so that you can see it coming in the door before it ever makes it through the door. It's not enough It's not enough for us to believe what we believe because someone else told you that's what you should believe or what you've always been taught. If you're going to be prepared to war against opposition that's going to come, it's going to come. If you're going to be prepared against that, then you have to know what you believe and you have to know why. It's not enough to believe the faith of your mom and your dad. It's not enough to believe the faith that your pastors preach about on Sunday mornings. You have to search these things for yourself. You have to know what you believe because you've searched them in Scripture for yourself. You must check everything with Scripture. Anything that's preached to you, even from behind this stand, check it with the truth of Scripture. We must use spiritual discernment based on the truth of Scripture, the truth of God's Word, to war against the infiltration of the folly that the world seeks to deceive you with. I don't, under, I don't know if you understand the importance. I know that it sounds very repetitive, but Paul is very repetitive. Go and read all of Paul's writings. It's going to sound a lot like the same thing. Because he understands the opposition that Christians will face because he faced them. He was the opposer. If anybody understands, Paul does. He understands that there will be opposition and he understands the importance of being on guard and being prepared, being aware of those things. I listened to a sermon on this passage by a guy named Juan Sanchez. He said this. I thought this was an awesome quote for Christians. We must have thick skin and soft hearts. We must have thick skin and soft hearts. What this means is when Paul commands us here to avoid such people, In avoiding such people, we should always want to seek to reconcile with these people through the truth of God's word. But if opposition remains, then we must rid the cancer from the body so that it doesn't spread. A lot of us are nice people. I like to think that I'm a nice guy. Well, sometimes the nice guy can be a pushover. Guys, as Christ followers, when it comes to these things infiltrating even parents, your home, our church, your lives, we have to have thick skin. Having thick skin knows the truth of God's word, 
and having a foundation that is rooted in that, that's not going anywhere. That, that thick skin means that we are able to discern the falseness that tries to infiltrate our lives. That thick skin means that we're rooted in the truth of Scripture so that we are able, that we are able and aware to prepare to fight against that opposition. Application this morning to be prepared. A word for you parents is protect your kids. I would say that most of you, your desire for your kids is to be faithful followers of Christ, to live as set apart. If that's the, your hope for your kids, and I hope that it is, then you have to protect them from the deception of this world. Take the blinders off. They are being deceived by every single avenue that you could possibly imagine. How do you do this? Know what's going on in their life. Know what they look at on their phone. Know what they listen to. Know what they watch. Know who they're surrounding themselves with. Students, you're probably thinking, good grief. I ain't going to be able to do anything without my parents knowing about it. You shouldn't. Because if your parents love you, They're going to instruct you and they're going to protect you from the deception of this world. You are the weak vessel. Children are, we are, we, I say we as I'm a a child, not far removed from that, but they have so many avenues. They have so many avenues of false things that can come into their lives. It is so, so important, parents, for you to protect your kids. I see this every day. I see this every Wednesday night, the conversations that I have. You can't protect your kid from everything. You can't put them in a bubble wrap. I understand that kids have to live and make decisions on their own and live with those consequences. But as long as you are the head over their household and they live under your roof, protect them from the deception of this world, please. You see so often the issue in the college age people that are a part of the church. A lot of times you notice that that number is very slim. Because nothing really takes root in their formative years as they are young people. That is what you have called me to do. But what God has called you to do, parents, is to be the main discipler of your home. And I want to encourage you to do that. Because trust me, if you don't disciple them, the world most definitely will disciple them. They will be a disciple. It will either be of the world or it will be of Christ. You can aid in that by pushing them and promoting the truth of Scripture in their life. And parents, they need to see that you love Jesus like crazy. Because why else would they? And that's a call to all Christians. I'm convicted even of that. I don't have kids, but I work in an environment that isn't filled with Christ. How can I be an influence if I'm not living in a way that represents Christ? It's all a call for us to be aware of these things, infiltrating our own lives and being prepared to war against them. We do that by being rooted in the word. As a church, we apply this by preparing ourselves by preaching the truth of the word faithfully and never wavering no matter what opposition comes. Christians are the minority. If you haven't noticed, the standard by which we live is in opposition to the way that the, world, the, way that the rest of the world lives. We must stand firm in the truth and not be moved. You can, turn on the t- you can turn on the news for 30 seconds and tell that there is opposition, right? And that we live in a world now where that is becoming stronger. These things are infiltrating the church. We have to be prepared and we have to be on guard. We have to know what we believe. We have to know why. And we have to make a decision to say that I am not going to move. 
I am going to be firm and rooted in the truth of Scripture. As we close this morning, I want to give you an encouragement following a question, followed with a question that I gave you earlier. Our encouragement this morning is that we can rest assured that the truth of God's word, it's always going to outshine the folly of the world. That battle has already been won. Rest in that. Glorify God for that. Rest assured that the truth of God's word will always outshine the folly of the world. And my question to you is, does it in your life? Does the truth of God's word shine brighter than the influence from everything else from the outside? Does it shine brighter than the folly of the world? I want you to think about that question. My encouragement to you, Christian, however you answer that, persevere, hold fast, fight the good fight, anchor in Christ, and live a life that is set apart. Know this to be true. You'll face opposition. It's going to happen. Probably already has happened. It may become more challenging. I don't know. Who knows what's to come? Be rooted in Christ. Because if you aren't, the world will rip you to shreds. It's true. It's so, gosh, it's so important. I feel like I, every time I preach or talk or anything, Drew, sorry to call you out, buddy, but Drew was asking me, he said, what, what are we talking about this morning? I said, well, the, I didn't want to preach it to him then, so he'd listen now, but it's to be set apart. And he said, don't you preach about that like every week? Yeah, dude. Because if you look at Scripture, that's the call, is to be set apart. The reason that is is because it's hard, and there's going to be opposition, and we must be set apart so that we can be aware and be, be prepared to war against the opposition that will come. For any in here that don't know Christ, my encouragement to you is to stop believing the lies of this world and believe the truth of God's Word. Stop believing that there is a certain amount of good or bad that you can do that affects your standing with God and understand that God sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice so that you could freely be given the grace if you would choose to accept it. There's no contingency. It's whether you accept it or you don't accept it. It's not, boy, I tell you, boy, I've done some bad things. It doesn't matter. You're not going to read that in Scripture. Thankfully, you won't. My encouragement to you is if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, and you have just been tossed to and fro by the lies of this world telling you that you'll never make it, you'll never be good enough, that part's true, but God never said you had to be. And don't believe that lie. And if you feel right now that you don't have a relationship with the Lord, I just want to be truthful, truthful with you and encourage you in telling you this. Sin separates you from God. God didn't leave us there. That's why we have the whole Bible, the whole gospel story. If you look back in Genesis, sin entered the world. There was a problem. God sent a fix to that problem. That man's name was Jesus Christ. He came and died because we couldn't do it. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the sacrifice once for all. And all he asked us to do is to believe in him. And we can have a relationship with him. This belief is understanding that your sin separates you from God. Confessing to God that you have sinned against him. And asking him to save you so that you can have a relationship with him. 
as we close this morning, I hope that for the believer, that you're encouraged to know that the folly of this world has already been defeated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Rest assured of that. As we live in this world, be in it, but don't be of it. And be rooted and anchor yourself in Christ so that you can face and fight against and war against the opposition that's going to come. And unbeliever, if God's calling you to himself, don't brush it off to the side. Accept him as your Savior.